0: Just fascinating. Abba Father, thank you for love and grace that goes beyond anything we could imagine. Um, Lord, to the point, a lot of us are here and we may not be reaching for a bottle of wine, but we're reaching for a lot of things to make us happy. And we're, we're skipping you. We're bypassing you to look for something to replace you to meet that deep, deep need inside of us. And so we need you right now to um, pull back a lot of the layers of fear and confusion to get down to where we really live and what's going on inside our hearts. Lord, we need your help. Uh, Thank you for everybody that's here. Thank you for those online. Please speak to them as well. We love you and we need you. In Jesus' name, amen. All right. Everyone, turn to Exodus chapter fifteen. Quickly set the scene. You remember we worked through all the ten plagues that God brought on Egypt, and in that in that massive program that took a long, quite frankly, a long time to do all that, uh, the Egyptians are slowly breaking down, and they're slowly realizing that God is sovereign. Eventually it leads to the great Exodus and they pass through the sea and as you're well aware, all the armies of Pharaoh were destroyed in the waters of the Red Sea. Here's a summary of it in 1430, which, which sets up the song and the lyrics. So the Lord saved Israel that day from the hand of the Egyptians and Israel saw The Egyptians dead on the seashore. Can you imagine that scene? The waters of the Red Sea were just shot up straight up. In fact, in in my translation, it uses the word congealed. The waters just were standing up like walls of water. By the way, really, really wide because you've got several million people passing through, right? Right and then those waters to be loosed and come crashing down. Can you imagine what it would be like if it was a flat calm and there the corpses are floating and the corpses have washed up on the shore. They saw the Egyptians dead on the seashore. When Israel saw the great power which the Lord had used against the Egyptians, the people feared the Lord, they believed in the Lord, and it says they believed in his servant Moses. That's the saying. They made it. Whew. No more Egyptians. No more slavery. No more punishment. No more beatings. No more having to get straw and make up the and, and keep our quota up. All the abuse. Ah, it's over. And they're on the other side. And they're going to begin their journey to this land promised to them. And they were so moved by all that happened, a song breaks out. Lyrics. 15 verse 1. Then Moses and the sons of Israel, the sons of Israel, sang this song to the Lord, saying, I will sing to the Lord for he is highly exalted the horse and its rider he hurled into the sea The Lord is my strength and song and he has become my salvation this is my God and I will praise him my father's God and I will exalt him and then they use a fascinating title the Lord is a warrior Lord is a warrior. The Lord is His name. Pharaoh's chariot and his army he has thrown into the sea, and the choicest of his officers are drowned in the Red Sea. The waters cover them. They went down into the depths like a stone. Your right hand, Lord, is majestic in power. Your right hand Lord, destroys the enemy. He's a warrior. And in the greatness of your excellence you overthrow those who rise up against you. You send out your burning anger and it consumes them like chaff. At the blast of your nostrils the waters were piled up. The flowing waters stood up like a heap. The deeps the depths were congealed in the heart of the sea. The enemy said, I will pursue I will overtake. I will divide the spoils. I shall be satisfied against them. I will draw my sword. My hand will destroy them. You blew with your wind. The sea covered them. They sank like lead in the mighty waters. Who is like you among the gods, Lord? Who is like you, majestic in holiness, awesome in praises, working wonders? You reached out with your right hand, The earth swallowed them. In your faithfulness, you have led the people whom you have redeemed. In your strength, you have guided them to your holy habitation. The peoples have heard, they tremble. Anguish has gripped the inhabitants of Lystia. Then the chiefs of Edom were terrified. The leaders of Moab, trembling, grips them. All the inhabitants of Canaan have despaired. Terror and dread fall upon them. By the greatness of your arm, they are motionless as stone. Until your people pass over, Lord, until the people pass over whom you have purchased, you will bring them and plant them in your mountain of your inheritance, Jerusalem. The place, Lord, which you have made as your dwelling the sanctuary, Lord, which your hands have established. And the last lyric to this song is the Lord shall reign forever and ever. Wow. Verse 19, the writer of Exodus gives a little summary again, and he says, for the horses of Pharaoh with his chariots and his horsemen went into the sea, and the Lord brought back the waters of the sea on them, But the sons of Israel walked on dry land through the midst of the sea. Now, all of a sudden, this male voice choir stops and it says, Miriam, the prophetess, Aaron's sister, took her tambourine in her hand. And it says, the women's choir (laughs) took up a song. All the women went out after her with tambourines and with dancing. And Miriam answered them, singing, Sing to the Lord, for he is highly exalted. The horse and his rider he has hurled into the sea. Just one sentence song from Miriam. And all the women sang it, memorized it, sang it. And then this large, much larger song that Moses and the men of Israel sang. I've got a couple, a couple pictures for you to see. We've already looked at this. Uh, you know, when, when you see the great power, is, where's Lee and Edie? I'm going to reference you. When you see the great power of the Lord, you understand the fear of the Lord. You have something that's so moving, you believe in the Lord, and then you believe in his servant. Sometimes, sometimes the servants of the Lord fail Horrifically. But in this instance, God's servant was believed and trusted to be one who accurately represents the Lord. Um, this is a picture of the Mormon Tabernacle Choir. 360 people. Can you capture the vision of this? All right. Now, this is the Brigham Young. We're going to really encourage the Mormons this morning. Brigham Young Men's Chorus. This is a collegiate chorus. That's 180 men. 180 Now, I I was searching the largest male chorus ever. That's what I'm looking for. You ready? This is all I've got. It is a terrible picture. It's so blurry, you know, you're going to be frustrated like I was. But the one that was much larger and cleaner, uh, I wasn't about to pay the licensing fee to show you that picture. So here you go. That's the Cardiff Arms Park Male Choir, 1993. And that's roughly 8,000 men. 8,000 men. Amazing. Can you imagine hearing that? Now, let's appreciate something. It says in, in Exodus 15:1, Moses and the sons of Israel sang this song to the Lord. All right, if you've listened, how many men are in that choir? In, what's that? Uh, chapter 13, we get an actual number. 600,000. thousand. Six. 100,000 memorize and embrace the song, the lyrics that were flowing out of the heart of Moses, I believe led by the Holy Spirit. Some scholars say, no, 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 back it up, Chris. You're, you're spiritualizing on the text. Some scholars say, this poem, this song came way, way, way late and it's projected into the text and all those kinds of things. I disagree. I, I think Hamilton nails it uh, Dr. Hamilton is one of the leading Old Testament scholars on the book of Exodus, that this actually did happen. And the men really did sing a song, okay? And, and, I, and I, I absolutely agree with Hamilton on that one. So two songs are sung, this big song by a 600,000 male voice choir, and then the song that the daughters of Israel sang with Miriam. Sing to the Lord, for he is highly exalted. The horse and his rider, he has hurled into the sea. All right, now, um, I've done a little bit of analysis on the lyrics to the song. Catch this. Verses 1 to 5, lyrics 1 to 5 in the song, are words about God. Words about God. And so you see the pronouns. I, he, my, these kinds of things. All right? But this middle section, 6 to 17, it's words that are directly to God. And so the pronouns are God, you, your, you are, you know, you this, you did that, your hand. So it's, it's literally pronouns that directly indicate we're talking to God. And then the last verse comes back out and it's words about God. And it's that great summary statement that, Lord, you reign forever and ever. All right, now here's what I want to do. I want to take those lyrics and draw some conclusions about men and their relationship with God. That's what this thing's going to be about. All right? And, and, and here we go, and I, and I need you to join me in this, OK. Christian men who revere God have a lot to say to God and about God. I set for a conclusion. When you're a Christian man, when you're a man in genuine relationship and in genuine pursuit of God, you've got a lot to say to him. You've got a lot to say about him. All right? By the way, a quick comment about the fear of God or revering God. That's a troubling word for a lot of us. We think of the fear of God. Why would I be afraid of him? Why would I be afraid? Well, the idea here is... Uh, If you recall the lyrics in the song, when the Egyptians saw what God did and the neighbors around uh, Palestine, it says they were so afraid they became motionless. They were catatonic. They they stiffened out and rigid. They were catatonic. They froze in terror. That's not what we're talking about. We're talking about a kind of reverence, a, a level of love and respect that keeps you in awe. Of God, and it makes you want to draw to Him. If the Israelis were that afraid of God, they would never write a song about Him. They would hide their faces and run. So Christian men who fear God, who revere God, they've got a lot to say. They've got a lot to say. Guys, uh, don't answer rhetorical question. When you consider last week and what you talked about. Was there any time set aside to talk about God at all? Any time at all? Were you had a meaningful conversation with God or a meaningful conversation with somebody else about God? Did it even matter last week? Men who know God have a lot to say to him and about him. Christian men who revere God are not ashamed to sing directly to God and to each other about God. I was a part of a, uh, a men's meeting years and years ago, uh, an event called Promise Keepers, and we packed out a stadium, and the singing was amazing. It really was, I remember that. And it was, it was encouraging to be with men, singing to each other about God. Men know how to do that. Men who walk with God know how to worship. They know how to sing. Um, three. Christian men who revere God, pass their faith to their children and encourage the faith of their fathers. I thought that was beautiful. I want you to see this. Uh, Look at it with me. This is this is chapter uh, 15. Look at verse two, About the midpoint down. This is my God. And I will praise him. My father's God. And I will exalt him. My father's God. What is going on that we can't pass faith to the second generation, to the next generation? And our children struggle to believe the God that we say we believe in. What's going on? Why is it at times that our faith as adults is so unbelievable? Men who really revere God and walk with God, pass their faith on to the children and encourage the faith of their grandfathers. Christian men who know God describe him as strong, song, warrior, majestic in holiness, awesome in praise, faithful, reigning forever. This is the word stock that sets God apart from everybody else. This is not the word stock that you would use to describe Alabama who got stomped by Michigan in overtime. You wouldn't say, Bama, they're majestic. Go Bama, they are awesome. Whoa. They don't make a mistake, they're holy. Bama's a warrior. Ouch. No, no, no. We'll see what happens with, uh, with Washington and Michigan. So this is language that is exclusive and exalted and sets God apart from Everybody else. What do you do when you hang around with somebody and you go, I'm I'm spiritual. yeah, I believe in the old man upstairs. Oh, that's that's all you got. (laughs) That's the best you can do to describe God. The old man upstairs, you know. A little cranky, kind of sends down some lightning every now and then when he really gets ticked off. You know. A man who really knows God. Describes him with terms that truly honor him and set him apart from everybody else. Everybody else. Christian men who know God know his grace and redemption. They know his grace. Do you think Moses was morally qualified to sing that song? No, he's got it. By the way, Moses has an anger problem. Did you know that? He really does. Yeah, he struggles. He battles doubts as well. You think the 600,000 men were morally worthy to sing those songs? They're the guys that convinced Aaron to take all the gold jewelry that Egypt you know, gave him his backpack and trying to turn it into a calf. The guys singing this song morally failed the Lord and pressured Aaron To such an extent that he's, okay, 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 give me your gold. I'll hammer out a golden calf and we'll worship it. Maybe the fertility calf will bless us in this horrific wilderness that we live in. A man of God knows that the only way you can relate to God is through grace. The redeeming love of God. It's not by works so that nobody brags about it. Just two more. Christian men know revering God is a priority over encouraging friends. Yeah. To say it plainly, we have nothing to offer other people if we have not had meaningful time with the Lord ourselves first. Right? When you have a meaningful relationship with the Lord, with the Lord and he fills you up, now you've got something to share. But if you do not walk with God and you do not pour his word into your heart and you don't get engaged in the transforming and the renewing of your own mind, there's going to be a radical tendency in you, in me, to not talk about God. Because we ain't got that much to say. Because he's not the centerpiece of our lives. He's not, he's not, he's not what's important to us. But a man who truly knows him. God is a priority. He's number one. And out of that, we're able to encourage our friends. Christian men have the ability to set the standard of worship at home and at church. Men, if you're a Christian, if you know the new birth, you literally are changed The Holy Spirit has taken residence inside of your soul. You are called to be the spiritual leader of your home. You're called to that. And one of the clearest and simplest ways that you prove you've prioritized God to your family is by your ability to worship. Your ability to put to lyric, to sing, whatever it is, to talk about God. Um, Years ago, in the psych world, a study was done uh, trying to argue that women talk roughly twice as much as men. Uh, Dr. Palin, you may be familiar with that. And several of the psych scientists, guess what they did? They fudged the data. They lied. Can you believe it? You can't trust the science sometimes, right? Don't ever trust science. That's the basic law of empiricism. Don't trust anything until you prove it, right? Don't trust anything. So here's what they tried to prove with their research. That men speak, I don't know, 20,000 words a day, and women, 40,000, 45,000, with gusts up to (laughs) 50,000. Guess what? Some guys go, ah, I don't know about that. And they did much better research and guess what they proved? Men speak almost the same number of words per day that the average female does. Maybe a few hundred to maybe a thousand words less per day. Guys, come on. We're talkers and you know it. We're talkers. We can talk about deer hunting and we can talk about loading bullets and all the stuff and, and John Deere tractors or the greatest technology, whatever it is that's, that's within your, you know, your, your, your wheelhouse, which you enjoy focusing on, Alabama, Ford trucks, I don't know, Pop-Tarts, whatever it is, you know, you, you talk about it. And, and come on, guys, we got lots to say when you walk with God. And there's a genuine pursuit of God. You set the standard. And, it, and the kids know it. Your spouse knows it. It's obvious. It's not, it's not that hard. Now some of you are going, uh, Chris, you have no idea how shy I am. I battle social anxiety. I, battle. I I get it. I get it. I understand. I'm not talking about that situation. I'm talking about the very clear and obvious tendency that we as humans talk about what we want to talk about and and we have no problem talking about a lot of things but please understand that at Christ Church we are, are forever committed to the scriptures and I for one On my watch, I am not going to compromise there. I'm not a morally flawless man, and I never have been. But I promise you, as your pastor and as your Bible teacher, I'm going to always teach the scriptures, even when it cuts me far deeper than it cuts you. All right? Men who revere God talk about God. Men who revere God talk to God. So what are you going to be reaching for? Good old bottle of wine. Hitching the twilight train, ain't nobody going to tell me what to do. I don't have to answer anybody's questions. Cuz that ooh, that 14% ABV, that'll hit you hard. Ooh, man. You know, a, a very just one glass of wine, just just one. Just one. Not not a lots of glasses of wine, just one. What are you gonna reach for? Well, we all reach for stuff. New toys, drugs, alcohol, our cell phones, Snapchat, Instagram. We're reaching for perfection. The ultimate photo that captures the ultimate emotion of the ultimate imagined joy of a happy life. Instagram. We're reaching for a lot of stuff. But after all that Israel went through, Moses and the sons of Israel said, I am going to sing to the Lord who is highly exalted. It's up. It's up. All right. You're the body of Christ. How do we live this out? Ladies, how do you encourage the men? By the way, the men led in worship. They went first. It wasn't the ladies that led. Men are leaders. How do we live this out? Uh, Lee and Edie, you saw God heal Joshua. Yeah. Kind of makes you have something to say, doesn't it? Makes you want to praise him. Yeah. How do we live this out, Christ Church? Men, what would you say to... If there's a man here this morning who's like, nah, I don't know. I don't know about this. I'd rather reach for a bottle of wine. I'd rather reach for my phone. I'd rather reach for my DeWalt tools or whatever it is, my guitar, whatever it is that you think is going to make you happy. What are you going to say to that guy, the doubter in the crowd, who doesn't believe this? Men, what are you going to say to the men who doubt? Chris. Yes, sir.
1: equal things—you can reach for them. You can hold on to them tightly.
2: You feel them. Yeah. But the one thing that does not—the one person who does not is
0: God. And that's good. Thank you, David. That's good. Someone else. Oh, Sometimes when I don't want to wake up in the morning <laughs> and it's really hard to get out of bed,
2: but you have work this morning, what I'll do is I'll like, like move my fingers and my toes lightly and then just that small movement kind of gets my whole body awake and i think that's something like if you look for god and all the little things in life you'll start to see just how big and beautiful he is and it'll start to get that movement within you but also i think like humans we don't always go for what
0: Mm, that's so good Margaret thank you everyone turn to 1 Corinthians 15 please First Corinthians 15 and I want you to you should mark this in your Bible you should memorize it um, 1533 thirty-three. 1 First Corinthians 1533 don't be deceived bad company corrupts good morals be deceived Margaret you're right we hang out with people who uh, who prioritize God and prioritize God's word uh, that's going to push us right there are some studies done uh, in group therapy where uh Uh, if there's a couple and their marriage is really, really bad and they're on the verge of divorce, that if you put them in a group therapy situation or a community group situation where everybody's been divorced and everyone feels really good about divorce as, quite frankly, a pretty easy option to stop the misery of a bad marriage, right? Guess what that couple will tend to do? Divorce, yeah. But you take that same couple in an extremely distressed marriage just like the others, and put them in a, in a committed group or a group therapy group for couples, family therapy, where they're radically committed to not divorce. And they're owning the problems and they're pushing through the problems. Guess what that couple will probably do? Stay married. Yeah. Well, we are, we are heavily influenced by our peers, aren't we? And by our culture. It's really, uh, Stephen, If you got a question online?
2: Uh, Lisa Henderson says, try to see God in the little things of life as well as the big things.
0: Yeah, thank you, Lisa, and I appreciate that. So w- when I was working through the text, I had a little bit of a struggle. You ready? God, I have never seen you not one time part the waters at Greer's Ferry Lake. how <laughs> would <laughs> expect me to believe, you know. And all the kids that bullied me, me in elementary school, I never saw them get hurt, you know. Huh, what are you doing to my enemies? Where's the big miracles, God? That whole cloud thing, the funnel thing that like glowed at night. So you had light by night and, and fire and cloud by day. Like, I've never had that. How do you expect me to believe? You've never done the big thing in my life. Lisa, you're on to something. Some of us get to see the big thing. And I've heard stories. It's amazing. Miracles, healing, Freddie. People oddly going, you know what? I, I, the strangest thing happened. I was, I was going to go on Cantrell West, and for some reason, I don't know, I decided to go east. And then I found out a tornado blew through that very area. And had I not done what I did, I'd have been smashed up again on the bill. Sometimes we see the big things. Uh, for many of us, it looks like a normal day. Real simple. We see big things. But I will tell you this, that if you... We, and, and when I was a young Christian, somebody told me not to bother God with something that I had asked them to break me about. They said, you don't need to bother God with that. When we, for me, we see
2: God in the big things because we see him in the little stuff. Because we don't look at something that happens that seems ordinary during the day and high-five ourselves and tell ourselves we did such a great job. We pause and go, thank
0: you, Lord, because you did that. When we believe that he is involved and in control of every detail, then... We will see him in the little things because there are a lot of people that have had big things. It's big to me seeing what God has done, and yet they, they, for them, it's just yeah. they don't acknowledge yeah. that God did that. Yeah. and I think a big thing has to do with kind of its perspective. Yeah. yeah, that's so good, Edie. Edie, I think there's a tendency in us. Let me word. Let me wordsmith it there's a tendency in us to take our frustrations with God and etch them in granite. God, here's the 10 reasons why you've let me down and etch it in granite, chisel it. But then the stuff that he has, the prayers that he has answered and the the amazing things that he has done for us, we kind of write that in sand real lightly. Doesn't take long to forget that stuff. But boy, the, the disappointments, we've got that chiseled and granite and fixated on it. And we miss sometimes, Margaret, the little things. Our breath. We get out of bed, we face the day. Yeah. Someone else. Thank you, Lisa Tootnate. Hey, this is actually a shout out to Lee Burrow, uh, his
1: leadership. Uh, several years ago, we had a conversation. I had been looking at Psalms 90, and then he also brought it up and shared some wisdom about it. But, uh, so to the man that's you know, to to be distracted um, uh, on lesser things, I would give the same advice that he gave me, which was pull out your song, and, uh, you know, guess, you know, if you've got 70 more years or 60 more years or 50 more years left in your life, and multiply that by
0: 365, <laughs> and look at the number of days that you have left on this yeah. planet. Yeah. And it, you say, "Oh well,
1: you know, I'm a Christian. I have faith. You know, I'm going to live to 100 years or whatever." Well, it says right there that that no, you've only got about 70 or 80 tops. Yeah. Yeah. And um, so I would just ask you the question: Well, this thing that you're looking at, this, you know, I've just got to get this new tool or. You know, I'll feel better if I just drink another drink or whatever it may be. Uh, what do you want? What do you want your life to look like? Yeah. yeah. You know, do you want to have a good life? Do you want, to have your, do you want your family to have a healthy relationship with God? Mm-hmm. If you do, you've only got so much time to get those things done. Yeah. And that, that lesser thing you're looking at, is it going to get you there? And if not, do you have time for that? Yeah,
0: that's so good. Teach us to number our days. That is so good, Nathan. Someone else, one more. Philip? Um,
2: I would say if you're looking for, if someone is looking for mentorship and leadership, but you definitely want to, if as a man, if you're looking for leadership and mentorship, you want to find another older man who's more confident yeah. in the walk of the board. And um, just study at the start of the year and came across the passage in James about the paces of Job and talked about a man righteous um, in the Old Testament the story of Job. Mm-hmm. Had everything stripped away. Wife tells him to curse God and die. His friends, so-called, come over and just tell him to wrong. And despite all of the affliction Satan puts on him, he never curses God. He doesn't understand everything, but he has that much confidence in his relationship with him mm-hmm. that he will See his creator in that. Yeah. Yeah. That story of Job inspires me to be a better
0: confident follower of Christ. Oh, that's so good, Philip. Thank you all. So um this has been so good. So good. You know, we're gonna be we're gonna be singing very soon. And uh men, I I challenge you to take the lead. I challenge you to sing from the depths of your heart. Uh the worship and the songs of the Lord so I want to pray over us um, Abba Father thank you for each man in this room thank you that you're calling us all to love you to revere you to honor you to make you number one and I, and I ask for grace in that whole process thank you that you're patient with us and thank you for all these ladies Christian ladies and how they encourage and pray for their husbands and the brothers God, would you bless them too. We love you. What a gift to sing and to put put to words and lyrics the truth about who you are and what you've done in our lives. God, please bless now. In Jesus' name, amen.